0: Welcome to Dulles. We're a community of faith that embodies the love of Jesus for the good of our neighbor and renewal of our world. We're so glad you're listening. So I live in I live in South Riding, and uh, the South Riding Governing Board or Proprietary just approved this fall me planting a tree that I've been growing for three years. It was a tiny little sapling, and now it's a it's about a three and a half foot, four foot tree Uh, that's another story for another day but lou lou Pizzoli helped me plant it about a month ago just off this walking path where i walk most mornings and there's a bench where i sit and pray for for you and uh, do a lot of just reflective time there and so i was able to plant this tree nearby and it's in this area where you you have to walk the path through through this wooded section And then you come out into this clearing, sort of like a a, a field. It's not near any structures. And so, um, of course, I lit the tree with solar Christmas lights. Uh, And I went to check last week to see if it was lit at night. And I realized I've never walked this path that I've I've done hundreds of times. I've never walked it in the dark. And it was kind of eerie. Walking through the woods, I, I, I think I hear animals, you know, in the woods. And then I come out into the clearing into the open kind of field area, and it's cold, it's dark, the stars are out. And I immediately had this thought that this is is what Christmas was like. This is what the Christmas story was like. You know, cold and a starry night in a field. And it's interesting where we get our concepts of God or how God views the world or... Uh, events or steps that God has taken, a lot of which are accurate and many of which actually never happened or were not told that they, they happened. We, we have these impressions because our grandmother believed it or because it's been in TV commercials or there's some kind of tradition that no one knows where the tradition started, but this is why we believe or have an impression or an image of something. Here's an example. The innkeeper that turned Jesus and, and Mary and Joseph away from the inn. And I, I've always pictured the innkeeper kind of having kind of a gruff sort of face. Like, not, maybe not get out of here, but there's no room here. There's no vacancy here. Uh, that innkeeper never existed. That, that story is not in Scripture the, the word, and this is just a, we'll, we'll talk more about this at another time, but the word that's translated in the King James into in, is actually better in English translated as additional room or guest room. In fact, Jesus uses the same Greek word when he tells the disciples to go find a room for their Passover meal, which would be the upper room. He uses that same word. It's a, it's a spare room or an additional room of the house. And what most likely happened is Mary and Joseph arrived in Bethlehem during the census when the whole town was full. All the guest rooms and people's homes were full. And someone, instead of saying, get out of here, or there's no room here, someone probably said, you know what, I do have room. Underneath the house, there was a room that a lot of homes had that was designated for maybe a sheep or some sheep or or a cow on nights that were really cold. They could come in and not be in the cold wind. So someone probably actually offered rather than rejected, it's interesting, isn't it, that we have traditions or concepts that we can't even place. We don't even know exactly where we get this concept. And so that night, I'm looking at the stars, and I'm in this field, and I'm like, this feels like Christmas. Why? And, you know, I, I gave it thought, and I looked back, and it's because of how Luke tells us the Christmas story. It's very similar. We read about a field, and we read about Starry nights. And so I want to look at some of Luke's telling of the Christmas story this morning to get to a very specific point. And it's it's my favorite. Luke describes my favorite uh, writings of the Christmas story. He's very detailed. He's actually my favorite biblical author. Um, Of all the 66 books in the Bible, Luke is my favorite book because of how detailed he tells us stories and events of Jesus' life. And so I want to do something I've never done before. I want to, I'm, I'm, we're going to read this backwards. We're going to start kind of at the end of Luke's Christmas narrative and just work our way backwards here. So Luke 2.15, when the angels had left the shepherds and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they race back to Bethlehem to see this baby that they were just told about. They hurried off and found Mary and Joseph, the baby, was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word. Remember this. In a few minutes, this is going to be important. They spread the word. These nameless shepherds, we don't even know their names. Insignificant. Part of the lowest class of of people, of status in society. Shepherds. They spread the word concerning what what had been told to them about the child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Okay, working backwards, let's go to the beginning of that story. Now there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And if we read on, this angel tells them not to be terrified. There's something common about this angel's appearance to so many people in the arrival of Jesus. He has to tell all of them, don't be terrified. You don't need to be afraid. There's something just astonishing about this encounter the angel gives them the the news that God is announcing the birth of his own son, God himself, the Messiah, is arriving. And he first announces this to nameless, dirty, sleeping-out-in-field shepherds. Let's keep working backwards. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And so everyone went to their own town, To register, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth and travels to Bethlehem with Mary for the census. Let's go to verse 26. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Mary was greatly troubled. The angel says, you don't need to be afraid. Let's keep working backwards. Now in chapter 1. When Zechariah, who is Mary's brother-in-law... Zechariah's wife is Elizabeth, Mary's sister. When Zechariah, when his division was on duty in the temple, he was serving as priest before God. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel again <laughs> says, don't be afraid. I know this looks otherworldly. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. John. He will be be a great joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be be great in the sight of the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. Rudy and I were just talking about this, and and several of you this year have asked me, two or three of you have asked me, what's up with the story of Zechariah? And Rudy and I just chatted about this this past week. And I'm asked this almost every Christmas season. What was God doing with Zechariah, which we're about to read? And by the way, Rudy and I are sharing the message next Sunday. We're going to tag team for, for next Sunday's message. The angel said to him, I'm Gabriel, I stand in God's presence, I've been sent to you to speak, to tell you this great news that's happening, this good news, and now you will be silent, Zechariah, and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people outside are waiting, what's taking Zechariah so long during his service in the temple? When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he'd seen a vision or something had happened in the temple, for he kept making signs for them and remained unable to speak. When I was younger in my faith, I read this and heard my pastor talk about this as God being harsh. The way I saw this is God's being unreasonable, isn't he? Zechariah is simply asking, I'm an old man. Explain, how is this possible? And God mutes him, God silences him. And for the longest time, you know, that kind of angry God in the sky was my image. You know, God's randomly, you know, he loves, he loves, he loves. Every page he loves, he's showing mercy, adulterers and all of that. But then randomly he just unleashes wrath on someone, it seemed, in my young faith. And when Rudy and I were talking about this the other night, you know one of the things we were discussing is this is actually God's protection. God so wants us to be part of his story, the revealing of his story, telling of the story of God, he actually protects Zechariah. There's something in this moment where God can tell that Zechariah is not with me yet. He's so full of doubt. He's so confused about my plan. He is going to walk out of this temple speaking counter words to my story he's going to walk out of this temple speaking saying well i saw this vision and this and but then what comes out of his mouth next will not be alignment with the story of god it will be some version of doubt or pessimism and so god silences him to protect him until the day when he can be joined with god in the story of god and it happens when john is born jesus cousin in fact There's evidence of of Zechariah joining God's plan, and then he has his voice back. In verse 57, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. She had a son, just as the angel said she would. Then they made signs to his father, Zechariah, to find out what he would like to name the child. They all thought it would be a family name. Zechariah asks for a tablet. He uses this writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote that his name should be John immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. See, now Zechariah is able to speak alongside what God's plan is, what God is doing. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and thousands, not thousands, that's the word throughout, and throughout the hill country... Of Judea. People were talking about all these things. And then we're not going to read it. Then Zechariah goes into what's called Zechariah's song. This poem. Not not only is he able to say yes. God spoke this to me. And it's going to happen. And we get to be part of it. But he goes further into praising God. With this beautiful poem. Of the greatness. And the power of God. Which brings us to the very beginning of Luke. Luke. The very beginning of chapter 1, and I don't know that I've ever taught on this or or spoken to this. Most people think Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote the majority of the New Testament. And I believe that a lot of my, probably 15 years of my faith, uh, and was surprised to read a biblical scholar that I was reading say that Luke wrote most of the New Testament, more than any other author. And I was like, that can't be right. And it actually is. The book of Luke and the book of Acts, his two books, are the largest content of any author in the New Testament, including Paul. It's my favorite description of the Christmas story. And Luke is my favorite biblical writer. He writes very similar to the way writers write today in the 21st century in storytelling. We could get into the weeds on that later. So here's the beginning, the first four verses of Luke, which have everything to do with what God envisions for you and me and the way we live as followers of Jesus. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, meaning about the life of Jesus. Luke goes on to say, Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have heard about, that you've been taught about Jesus. And so from that point, Luke goes into the Christmas story, the arrival of the Messiah. And Zechariah and his response, and then Mary and Joseph, Joseph wants to put away Mary quietly and not humiliate her when he finds out that she's pregnant. And then the shepherds, who were the first to have announced to them the, the news of Jesus. Not kings, not a prince, not wealthy people. These poor shepherds out in the field are the first people that the legion of angels approach to say, God has arrived on earth. And Luke begins all of this to tell us how careful he's been to investigate and write, write this account of the life of Jesus. Now, he's writing to a personal friend. It's a colleague. It's maybe a a neighbor, someone he's worked with. We don't know a whole lot about Theophilus. What we do know is that Luke knows him personally and cares about him. And we know that Theophilus is committed to God. His name, Theophilus, means lover of God. So, this is someone who's committed to the Old Testament scriptures, the law of Moses, and who is desperately searching for, or longing for, or awaiting the arrival of of the Messiah. That much we know about Theophilus. And Theophilus must be incredibly confused about all the stories, all the rumors. Maybe he himself encountered Jesus at one point. He's trying to figure out how can someone perform all these miracles? How does this relate to the Old Testament scriptures? Does it relate? Is it actually the Messiah that everyone is abuzz about? And so Luke, his friend, sets out to write an orderly account to give certainty to his friend Theophilus. Verse 1, many have undertaken. Luke tells us that many, many, maybe hundreds of people are writing detailed accounts of the life of Jesus because it's that important. We have said before that when one Roman emperor has a storyteller, a biographer, write about them, it's significant. You're a significant person in the Roman world, in ancient cultures, if someone sets out to write an account of the details of your life, even just one. Jesus has four gospel writers. And Luke, one of the four, tells us many are writing to relatives and friends. And maybe their grandchildren details and accounts that they witnessed of the life of Jesus. It's that important that we capture these stories, Luke is saying. In verse 2, so many events and so many details and so many locations have been handed down to us by those who from the very first were eyewitnesses of all that Jesus performed and did and said and were servants of the word. Have you ever considered this about yourself in your journey of faith, wherever you are in your life of faith, to know God, to walk with Him, to see Him active in your life, to please Him, have you ever considered yourself a servant of the Word? Now remember, word, the word word is what describes the Scriptures to us, but it's also what John used to describe Jesus. Jesus was the Word, John chapter 1, and the Word Became flesh. He made his dwelling among us. The word was with God. The word was God. He's describing Jesus as the spokesperson, the messenger, the revealer of God. And here, Luke is describing anyone who would tell the story of Jesus. Anyone who would carefully think about their experience, their encounter with Jesus as a servant of the word. Have you ever thought about your life of faith, your commitment to Jesus in this way? that you are a servant of the story of Jesus, the story in Scripture, God's story in Scripture, but also your own personal story, that this is not and it cannot remain a private experience for you. I talk to people, not a year goes by, where there aren't some people who tell me, you know, my my relationship with God is very private. I'm just not one to be uh, more active, you know, I, uh, I, I listen from afar. There are people that tell me I prefer to listen on podcasts and just not, I don't, I don't need to be in the context of the church. I don't feel critical of someone who f- expresses this. I, I feel more sad because we actually, to live the activity of God, to experience the reality of God, at some point you come to a line where you cross the line in your faith. To understand that you're now a messenger of God's story. You're actually a revealer of the reality of God. And if there's something in your heart or mind that says, no, 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 it's the people up on stage who do that. It's pastors who reveal the story of God. It's it's well spoken, it's extroverts. You are actually limiting, you're, you're beginning to relate to Zechariah if you're not careful where you may live a life of silence, essentially silent in your expression of God's story, because you somehow diminish your, the, the way you see God using you or speaking through you. God may have in mind one person in the coming year that he wants you to be a friend to, maybe a shoulder to cry on, and eventually... Someone who tells your story of what God has done and what he's doing to change your heart, your perspective, your attitude, some of your habits, some of your selfishness. And if that just seems deeply personal, this is how God, God came to be deeply personal. He sent his son. He could have written something across the sky. He could have announced through some kind of loud reverberation from the clouds. He came to be personal with us. In our early circle, we call all call at 9.30 when a lot of us, about 20 or 20 of us, us group up to pray and get our hearts and minds into the morning. This morning, just several people said, the story of Jesus is Jesus coming to be personal. like, Like personally engaged with humans. And now he calls you and me to be messengers of the same story. And for you, it may just be one person. It may not be standing on a stage or quoting lengthy places in scripture to someone. I would kind of hope not. It may be a friendship, a colleague at work, someone who's struggling, and a, a, an opportunity is put in front of you, and you just realize, you begin to sense, I think God is actually prompting me to speak into this person's life from my story. Isn't it amazing? Luke is my favorite book of the Bible. I've read it so many times millions and millions of people read the story, and Luke thought he was writing a story for one person, his friend, Theophilus. You may, in a friendship in the coming year, and that's part of what I'm challenging here at the end of the year, I've just sensed about three weeks ago, I was praying. I don't pray on my knees often, I was actually on my knees, praying for our church and for us to be who God wants us to be in the community, and I had just this strong... Uh, like wave, this just inner sense of awareness that God wants us, all of us, to be called to think about the one person in the coming year. Who your one person is going to be. Who he's already preparing you. In friendship, the trust that's being built, the person that you'll meet. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it is someone that you met at work, a former colleague. And God wants to reveal the reality Of his presence on earth, his redemptive grace and beauty in someone's life through you. And who knows what that one telling of the story of Jesus could lead to. Luke had no concept. Luke did not sit down and think millions of people are going to read this document someday. He's writing a letter that's going to go to one person as far as he... is concerned it is remarkable to think of how god could extend your own story shared with one person what that could turn into we leave all of that to god what he's called you and me to be are couriers of the story of jesus the story in history the story from scripture and your own personal experience with him Verse 3, I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. Do you carefully investigate the story of Jesus? Do you carefully study? When you get to a hard place in Scripture, do you write down the questions? Like, hey, I'm going to ask somebody, or do you just let it frustrate you? Years of my early faith in following Jesus, I'd get to a place in Scripture I didn't understand, and I would just say, that's for smart people. That's for Bible people. And when I had a relationship with my, my student pastor and just started sharing, like, I don't get this. This sounds like God's angry. And he would process with me, but I used to think that, Brad. It's like, oh, my gosh, now I see more clearly. This is why we have groups. We don't have groups because we're trying to be spiritual and we're just trying to. Part of the reason that we meet during the week and midweek meetups and groups is because we can talk openly about What we're learning, what we're investigating, questions that we have, things that confuse us. We listen today to podcasts. We watch endless television. We watch so many, maybe hundreds of YouTube and TikTok videos about weight loss and somebody's story of a Black Friday deal they got on something. ...or amazing travel locations... ...or how to apply for college. We inundate ourselves with all of this content. And do you treat the most remarkable, astonishing story... ...ever in the history of our planet this way? Luke says, I myself have carefully investigated. Why? Because I want my friend to know the reality of what happened... ...who Jesus actually is... And in writing this message, what what just kind of hit me, like, I'm going to focus on Luke's writing. We focus on what Bible authors tell us. We focus on the content that they give us. Rarely do we think about the motivation of the writer. This is Luke's heart for a friend. I want my friend to know what I've experienced My life, my heart, my mind, the way I think about my wife, the way I interact with broken people is radically different because of what Jesus has done in me. And I want my friend to get it. I don't think I've ever felt so inspired to focus on the four verses that tell us what motivated this writer. So I decided to write an orderly account for you. Detailed. I'm going to try to make it chronological. I may not get everything, I may not remember every story, but I'm going to lay out the person of Jesus so that you can know what I've learned. You can be changed the way I'm being changed. So the question, this Christmas season, as busy as we are and running around and studies tell us that in about three weeks we will be more tired than we were a couple weeks ago because of the, the holiday season. With everything in front of us, all the events, spending the extra money that we do, and that's not a bad thing. This is part of expressing really the symbol of God's greatest gift given to us. But in all that happens in the month ahead, are we tuned into God's spirit to be thinking about, to be recognizing, to be reflecting on who our Theophilus is? Who is your Theophilus? I love thinking about this. It's God who changes the heart. I don't actually have to do a lot of convincing. I can't change someone's heart. He's the one who changes the heart for, for some reason. From Eden all the way through the Old Testament into the New Testament, God has designed planet Earth to work so that you and I, humans, are reflections and voices of God's reality. He is going to wait until you and I speak his story, reveal his story. Someone in your sphere of influence or relationships, someone right now or someone that you're about to meet in the months ahead, I believe, is waiting for evidence. The world has never been more spiritually interested more Americans are disinterested in church and organized religion, but more Americans, maybe than ever, are interested in spiritual realities. And there will be someone in your life, they're probably already in your life, who is looking for evidence. They're looking for credibility. That they can, they can sink their teeth into this experience that someone that I trust has had with who they believe is God, who's changed them. God uses people to reveal his heart and love and reality to other people. This is something Rudy and I are going to talk about a little bit next week. It's as if Luke is saying, if you're searching for truth in God, I want to leave you a history of what God did in time and space. And God doesn't just use the famed writers of Scripture to tell a story. He never has. You know, the Scripture is God's authority. It's his unwavering truth given to us that we center all of our lives around in terms of truth and what is real about God. But he never intended to just tell the story of God through 66 books of the Bible. He intends to tell the story through you and me. He always has. Luke cares so much about the story of Jesus. He's careful and methodical, wanting to be sure that the story of Jesus is not lost And not confused by the world of folklore and, in his day, mythology. Luke wanted to tell the story that had so profoundly changed him so that the story would be grounded in history. Grounded in personal experience. So, our band's going to come. And close our time here. And as they come, I want to just leave you with these words and this challenge. Do you think like Luke does... I know this can be intimidating. I get it. I ran when I felt like God wanted me to be a pastor. I ran from that for six months. I quit church. I actually quit going to my youth group. It was like I was having this crisis of faith. I felt so intimidated by thought. You know what else intimidated me before that? Was ever sharing anything about my faith to a friend. When my high school baseball team and some of the guys would talk to me. And I've told you some of these stories before. It so paralyzed me with fear. That I somehow was supposed to speak in coherent words about God in a way that someone would understand. And I was afraid of messing it up. You ever felt that way? Like, oh, I might get this wrong. Or what if I misrepresent God? Or what if I don't get the scripture exactly right? God is bigger than that. God can take our missteps and our words not being exactly right. He can take our nerves and feeling intimidated. And he actually uses us even more when we're humble. His strength is greater. We know this. You and I are called to be a servant of the revelation of God, the reality of God, the story of God. I want to challenge you again. You know to to, to just think about the story of the shepherds. The shepherds left. This experience and they go and they tell everyone they know and their little world is abuzz amazed we're told they were, that the friends of the shepherds are amazed at the story that they told them zechariah was supposed to come out of the temple speaking god's about to do something amazing i don't really understand it i can't explain it there was something in him that hesitated he he, he was paralyzed he was guarded He wasn't going to speak in alignment with God's plan. So God just said, I'd rather wait, Zechariah. I'm going to silence you so you don't speak against what I'm doing, against my plan, against my heart. And when Zechariah was finally there in his faith and he saw the baby and it was a boy and he knew, my God has done this, his mouth was opened to be aligned, to be a a participant, a partner in the story of God. If you're nervous about, this is how I want to conclude this. If you're nervous in a conversation, someone's asking, someone's hurt. Their marriage is in trouble. There's tears here. Wow, I don't know what to say. I have learned from personal experience. Under my breath, I can't tell you how many times I've said this. Where no one could hear me. It was just under, just in my heart, in my mind, dear God, I don't know what to say. Give me the words to say. And it's, it's just remarkable. You don't know what's coming out of your mouth. The person tells you you're encouraging them, and you're like, I am? And then they walk into church with you, and they want to sit in church with you. And for anyone who's intimidated to know exactly how do I invite a friend to church, isn't that pushy? Isn't that kind of pushing my, This, this just simple phrase, come and see. Just try to remember these words. Come and see, and come sit with me. If you just remember those words, whatever, however the conversation's going, if it's at coffee, if it's at, during a break at work, maybe at lunch, maybe a neighbor, just remember the words. At some point, God will probably prompt you to say, you know what, we have coffee on Sunday mornings. Just, just come and see what I've been seeing. Come hear the story that I've been invested in. Invested in. And, and you can sit with me. Just come sit for an hour with me on Sunday morning. Those words have power when God's spirit is behind them. Our band's going to close us here, and I just want to lead us into this final worship song with our December daily prayer. Would you stand with me for this prayer? And would you give God, you know, I'm the one speaking these words, but would you give God your heart and your passion in this prayer? And again, you're welcome to screenshot this. This is always on our app. You can access this anytime on our on our church app. Jesus, creator of all that is good and all that has been made, you also made your dwelling here with us, with me. This month, as our church moves toward Christmas, I recognize that you chose to move toward me. You've come all the way into my hurt, into my failures, into my disappointments to be close to me. Jesus, today, give me a strong sense of your presence. You near me, you with me, you close to me. Today, I allow you all the way in to my life, my heart, my emotions, my thoughts, and my deepest dreams. And remind me, Jesus, remind us that following you means I am now part of your advent, your arrival into the lives of others who long for relief out of darkness. Amen.